0: It's always a joy to be here. Um, For those who don't know me, my name is Nathan Tuttle. I'm uh, the pastor's youngest son, and I live in New Zealand as a... I'm an associate pastor in New Zealand. And so I was uh, supposed to be here for about six weeks, and it turned into three and a half months. I was uh, applying for a new visa, and so I got stuck here over the summer and missed New Zealand's winter, so uh, it wasn't an entire loss. Today I want to talk uh, out of Philippians chapter 3. One of the things that is nice about when you uh, leave your native setting and you're able to step away is that you begin to be able to look uh, in some ways objectively over your life or what's going on. So one of the things that's happened to me as I have been in Marquette over the summer uh, is that I've been able to look at what I'm doing in New Zealand and what the Lord's doing in New Zealand, and it's almost as if I'm able to step back and look at it and see what the Lord's doing and see the big picture again. And because, you know, it's like when you're in life, you feel every inch, but you don't necessarily see or f- the feet that you've taken. So you're only seeing the, the little day-by-day mundane things, but you're not catching everything that's transpiring. So one of the things that I have been able to do this summer is that I've been able to step back and just realize how good God has been over how much is actually taking place in New Zealand. What He's doing, I'm getting the big picture. And one of the thoughts that has uh, really, I've kind of come back to again and again and again to this summer And this thing is driving me nuts. Is in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, it goes, I have, not that I have already obtained this, nor am I already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal, of the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he's putting in this picture. He's the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. He's out. He's done. He's planted at the churches. And yet he still has one more in prison to go. And yet he's going, I don't assume that I have made it but I am going hard because there's more in God that I can have. He's an apostle. He's the greatest apostle. Two-thirds of the New Testament is written by Paul. He's arguably the greatest, one of the most brilliant men who've ever lived. Even, like, vehement atheists will say that Paul is arguably one of the smartest men who've ever lived. He is at the height of the human pyramid, and yet at the moment he's there, he goes, I don't assume that I've made it because I've caught a vision of Jesus and there's more than what I have. I've beheld him in his glory and I tell you there's more and he's made me his own. And so out of response for him, putting his mark on my heart, I am stepping forward and I'm going to seize every day to take everything that he has. Because there's more and he's opened up his heart and he's opened up the treasures of God and I have free access by the blood of Jesus. to step past that veil and see and peer and be transformed into his image. That's my destiny. Why would I live any other way, assuming that I've maintained something or I've achieved something? I'm going to take every day because I have beheld perfection and He is making me in His image, and I'm going to walk across that veil and I'm going to take it. In Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, Jesus is talking to His disciples. And he says this, do not lay for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's funny that he doesn't condemn them for seeking treasure. He actually assumes that they're going to seek treasure. What he says is don't seek after something that's worthless. There's something that's eternal, and there's something that is finite. Seek after something that will last forever. Or if you're a wise investor, that's something that actually gives you dividends. Something you're gonna get return for investment. The issue is not the pursuit of treasure. The issue is that what you seek your heart will follow it's your heart where is your heart being set on that's what jesus is going after he's going i want your heart i don't care about pursuing something that is not uh, that's fun or pleasurable i want your heart because if i have your heart i have your affections what you set your eyes on your heart will follow There is no neutrality in the kingdom of God. You're either going forward or you're going back. It's just like life. Every day, another day passes and your time on earth grows shorter. It sounds harsh, but time is not a renewable commodity. You have been allotted a certain amount of time on this earth, and when the sands run and the silver cord is cut, it's over. Now, we don't know the day or the hour of our death. And if Jesus returns in our lifetime, we won't die. But the vast testimony of history is that every man up till now, including Jesus, has died. It's it's funny to me that Jesus partakes him in his divinity. He still partakes in the ordinary mode of death. He dies like everybody else. Now, he conquers death. Christianity is not the avoidance of death, it's the conquering of it. So he has partaken in the death. He didn't avoid it, but he ran into it because he saw what was beyond there. Our heart follows our vision. So what we set our eyes on, our heart will follow. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because for this church, for this summer, I have felt... Again and again and again that it was time to run again, meaning several years ago, this church had a crew of young adults, and they pursued the Lord with great passion, and they went where some went somewhere in the Lord. and if you'll talk to them, you'll talk to Brent or Josh Matt or Brinkman and others. They have been marked by some of the encounters that they had five or six years ago. In fact, those encounters have in some ways, shaped their, the pursuit of their lives over the past five or six years. And yet seasons of life change, and you can't avoid it. They've gotten married. They've had kids. They can't run like they're 22 anymore. They have bills and mortgages and kids and kids. I just tell you, don't drink the water in this church. Seriously. Every time I come back, it's like rabbits everywhere. <laughs> I lived in Kansas City for uh, seven years. So I went from Kansas City to New Zealand. And so I've, it's been fun watching the growth of the church, but it's, it's, it's crazy. Seriously. And so seasons of life change, and one of the journeys that they've had to walk through is that they've had to, in some ways, redefine the way they define themselves. Because when you're 22, you define yourselves in the the strength of your youth. And when you're slightly older, and you're waking up three or four times at night to take care of the baby, things change, and you can't run quite like the way you used to. And yet, in the midst of life changing, the call to pursue God remains unchanged. It might look differently, but it remains consistent. And yet, in the midst of that, there is another generation that is coming up, and it's their time to go for it again. So the window will look a little bit differently for those who are older, but the window for those who are young Remains open For those of you who are not married or in college, this is the prime time in your life to go for it. And my challenge to you is to go for it. Don't settle for the ordinary. One of my worst fears in life is that I would settle for mundane, bored Christianity and not partake of what is offered to me. Philippians 3, 8-11. You know, he's writing of his life, Paul. He's talking about his qualifications as a Jew and his prestige and his position and all those things. He goes, and I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but in faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's funny that he's talking about this. He says, I count everything as loss. It's worthless. I've had everything. I've been to the height of, a position in my people the height of righteousness i was a jew of a jew i was a benjamin i could trace my lineage all the way back to benjamin i'm named after the saul after the height of the tribe of benjamins achievement the first king of israel i'm named after him i can trace it back in fact i've been to the best schools i've sat under the best teachers I was a student of Gamaliel, and all of that is worthless because somewhere on the road to Damascus, God knocked me off my horse, and I was laying in the dust, and I heard a voice and a flash of light that said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, I saw him, and everything made sense. I was pursuing, I was persecuting him. And yet in His kindness, He knocked me off. And I understand that everything that I had built in my life was worthless because the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ was not based on what I could do for Him. It was based simply on saying, Jesus, you're worth it, and I will take your gift. If I believed in Him, He would save me. And in that moment where I realized the gift that He's given me, it's worthless. Everything is worthless I will take it. I will walk through the door because he's made the way and now I have full access not based on simply what I could do for God but he has given me full access and all I have to do is walk through in faith and he's opened the door and everything's available. The kingdom of heaven is not a man who goes into the field and finds a treasure and simply gets it. Ma- the kingdom of heaven is a man who goes in the field and finds a treasure, and he realizes that the entire wealth of his entire life up till now does not stand comparison to the treasure that is available to him. And so he takes all that he has and he trades it gladly with joy because he's discovered something of such precious value that is glorious and infinite before him. The moving forward in our Christian walk is not focused around our activity, but it's based simply on the relationship with a man called Christ Jesus. Being radical for God does not look like standing on a soapbox and beating your chest and screaming like an angry preacher. Nothing's worse than an angry preacher. Like seriously, especially if they're young. Radical looks like this. You get up every day and you say yes to God over 40 years. I have watched more people burn out, not because of hard situations, but they let the oil run out. And so every day when they have to throw a few more drops into the fire, it looks minuscule, but over time they run out of oil to throw in. And then what happens is suddenly they're dry and they're barren and they don't know why. That's what radical looks like. That's what you're invited into. It's not the mountaintop experiences. It's not they will come. It's not the, the hardship or just saying yes in the, in the valleys. It's saying yes to God every step of the way in everyday life. Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. For the water that I will give him will become a spring of water welling up to internal life. When you've tasted of the heavenly water, you're never satisfied for something less than that. My senior year of college, um, we had a move of the Spirit. And I'm not a feeler. Um, I was. It was a very charismatic church, so everybody was flopping and doing charismatic things. Um, I am not. I'm a bad charismatic. Uh, and so, we're in this incredible move of the spirit. All my friends are the crazy ones, and I am like the sole guy that doesn't feel jack. And this lasted for nine months. And so in the midst of everybody having these encounters, I would get mad because I wanted to be like everybody else. But the one thing that I couldn't deny was that the presence of God would be so thick in the room that it would be like you walking into a wall. You would step through the the doors, you'd walk into the sanctuary, and you could feel getting a little stronger with every step. But as soon as you stepped into the sanctuary, it, it literally was like tangible. Like you like you would almost feel like you could go out and touch it because it was so thick. And so I never had a mountaintop experience. But what I had is nine months of sitting in the presence of God. And when you feel him that way, you're never satisfied again until you've touched it. The best way to describe it was the closest place to the home I have ever felt. It wasn't, I mean, like Marquette has always been my home, but it wasn't, it was something, it was like coming out of water when you've been under for a little bit too long and you taste the air again. You just breathe. And all of a sudden, it's like coming alive again. Presence of God is like that. Jesus says, I will offer you water and you'll never thirst again, meaning you're never going to look for anything else. I'm going to give you eternal life, but you're going to be thirsty because you're going to want to touch it again. Christians have to become masters of growing in dissatisfaction, meaning we can't remain stagnant or simply passive of where we've been, but constantly growing and reaching out for the greater. C.S. Lewis has this amazing quote in The Weight of Glory. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by offer, by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Man, we are far too easily pleased. We have to realize that there is more than what is that we have currently seen. I mean, we're talking about one who has fire in his eyes, who created the cosmos, not simply because that was the way things only worked, but because he actually has a glory in his being, meaning the, way, the cosmos looks the way it is because he wanted it to look that way. He loves beauty, he loves glory, and that's all the reflection of him. And so... We have to become masters of not being di- becoming dissatisfied because we want to long for more, and growth only happens when we continue to step forward. Not settle for anything less than vibrancy. My challenge today comes in 13 and 14 of chapter three. It says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind and I strain forward to what lies ahead. And I press towards the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There are many in this room who have tasted of something. That was four or five years ago. And I would say this to you, remember it, but do not become satisfied with that. Don't stay there, because if you stay there 20 years from now, you'll be looking at those memories, and you will have squandered the next 15, 20 years. Now, it will look differently for everybody. But Paul is talking, he goes, I don't remember. I don't stay where I've been, but I'm pressing on. The successes and the failures, I forget them Every day, and I take the next step because there's more. Many in this room have never tasted of something that was beyond them. They've gone to church, but they've never tasted of God. Well, that can change today. You can't love God yesterday. You can't love him tomorrow. You can only love him today, in the moment. Choose today that you will go after God and you will not become satisfied. Don't look at experiences that are two or three years old to sustain you. There are markers in your life. They are not meant to sustain you for your entire life. Forgetting what, what lies behind and pressing on. It's the image of a runner who has seen the finish line. And he's continuing the strain out, giving the last ounce of strength that he has to cross that line and get the prize. And Paul's saying, I forget every day. I forget, and I take up the mentality of a runner who has seen the finish line, who has seen the, the, the prize that is offered. And I take it, and I run, and I yearn for it, and I'm reaching out my hand to take it. And in this church, there are some who are on their second or third lap, and there are some who are beginning their first lap. And yet the prize is the same. And my challenge today is don't settle. Go for it. Reach out and worship. I don't know if you've you've noticed, but the past two or three weeks, the worship has just gone up. There's hunger in this room. The presence of God is in this room. And if you will respond to him, he will respond to you in greater measure. Go for it. Don't, don't wait for permission. Go for it. Take it. God does not just use the super saints. He uses me, weak men and women, who is everyone, to work in his kingdom and to fill him with his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter four talks about jars of clay being filled with its glory. The picture is this. We're not very expensive. We're cheap jars of clay. Jars of clay are, they weren't fancy. Cheap jars of clay that have an inexpressible treasure inside. So the images of weak men and women who aren't worth much suddenly be given the gift that is worthy of an emperor or a king. And that's you. So take it. Can I have the worship team come up? I want to make the altar available for anybody who have prayer. We're going to have an open-ended prayer or worship. Anybody who wants prayer... Whether they've been in seasons where they've tasted of God, they've run hard, and they want to run hard again. Or even those who've gone, God, I've never actually, I've stayed on the sidelines. I I don't want to go for it. We want to leave room for you to respond. You can respond in your chair, but if you want prayer, there are lots of people in this church that would like to pray. My prayer for you isn't, it isn't that you just simply get an emotional experience that's an emotional high, but that you would actually have something happen and that's inside your heart that says, Jesus, you're actually worth it. I'm I'm a missionary on the field. I never wanted to go in the ministry. I'm a pastor's kid. I knew the cost. It wasn't appealing. But in the midst of it, there was I caught a vision of who Jesus was. And suddenly the price didn't become that expensive. It was worth it because there's something more and I tasted it. Now I'm slightly narcissistic, like the rest of humanity. And so I originally said, you know, Jesus, I will go in the ministry simply because I know my life is going to be so miserable until I actually do what you want. So, I'll do what you want, and that way I'll get what I want. And yet that changed, the funny thing is he took it. He goes, I'll take that and I'll match it. I'll take it and I'm gonna demonstrate my goodness to you in the midst of it. And suddenly, in the midst of me being just narcissistic, suddenly you catch the vision of going, actually, joy comes with laying down my life and it's worth it and the love that he has for me, the love that I get to walk into makes everything dull in comparison you know Paul eventually would give his life for the gospel he was beheaded in Rome and yet death is such a small price to pay for the love That he had. He knew from the beginning that he would suffer for the gospel, and yet he saw something on the road to Damascus and said, Everything is worth it. My challenge to you today is say, God, I want to touch that. Christianity that is devoid of encounter with God is simply, it's just like all the other religions. The thing that distinguishes Christianity from the other religions is that when we call on the name of the Lord, he shows up. Worship is us lifting up our spirits and saying, God, you're worth it and I'm going to touch you. I'm going to actually dare to step out of the armchair and get into the fire. And then he shows up. The presence of God is the glory of the church. I don't know why you would ever want to do Christianity without him showing up. Sounds like a boring life. And with that, I'm going to end because I don't know what else to say. Blessings to you.
1: You know what I find amazing? You can get fed a diet of unbelief all week long, you can listen to mockery being made of faith you come stand in this room, and within seconds, minutes, whatever, something says, there's a reality here that I can't deny. Why is that? You can short-circuit all of those arguments, you can just set it aside, and just say, I'm speaking to you, and you know it's real. Something to the core of your very being gets affected, and so this is, this is reality at its highest and clearest, and best that you'll get. And so the challenge is, what are you going to do with it? I'd encourage you over the next moments ahead to just allow God to speak into your heart, unravel the things that are tangled, set aside the things that uh, he says don't need to be looked at anymore. And just say, God, what do you desire? And anything you want, it's open open. Giving it to you. So we're going to pray for that. Again, I encourage you, don't run from a moment like this, but allow God to speak into your heart. And uh, truly, if, if uh, there's any need for others to speak or prayer like that, uh, seek someone out that you trust, and uh, let's do that together. May your Holy Spirit sweep through this room even now. washing away sins that have been held and, and worried over and stressed over and uh, the embarrassment shame and guilt uh, may that be removed in this moment may your spirit come through here and bring clarity to to life and understanding as to how things work and what's really taking place with us May your Holy Spirit give us confidence even in the relationships that we're pondering over and wondering, how do I take this next? Or where do I go? May there be a clarity that comes in this moment. May your Spirit come in and and give a a courage and boldness to those that you are calling to step out and speak for you. May there be an awareness that you will provide the open doors necessary. May your spirit come in and give confidence to those that are worried about their finance and an awareness that you see all and and know what's needed and will provide. Now, Lord, I ask as each one goes into the community that you would give them words of life to speak over others. I pray that uh, the deeds that they do would be fitting with the workings of your kingdom that you'd enable them to carry out the supernatural. We love you this day. We thank you for your great love that's been shown into our hearts. Amen. Amen. God bless you.